Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. It's playoff week, and we have quite literally one of the best people in the world to tell us a little bit more about the Atlanta Hawks. It's Brad Roland, host of Locked On Hawks, covers the team for Dime, for Peachtree Hoops, a myriad of other places, Alex, and we get just about all the information we could ever want on the Atlanta Hawks and how they'll match up with the New York Knicks in this one. Yeah, there's so much that that Brad manages to give us just in this single episode. So lots of great info. Talk about the newly healthy Hawks rotation, how that's going to look versus the Knicks, how it could be different from what the Knicks have seen previously this season. We talk about what's at stake for the Hawks as far as like big picture stuff, you know, the front office, the coach, all that good stuff. Uh, We talk about how Trey Young is going to fare in the postseason. It's his first postseason. He plays a certain style of basketball that's not typically conducive to success in the postseason. So we kind of talk about that a little bit, talk through that one. We talk about Julius Randle, who the Hawks obviously have had a pretty hard time dealing with this year. Uh, He had two 40-point games against the Hawks. So we talk about how they can potentially try to stop him. And Brad brings up a certain name that that makes me very unhappy. Uh, So you can listen to figure out which name that is, the defender that could be on Julius Randle. And then finally, we just talk about what we think uh, the keys to the series will be and get Brad's prediction for the series. We're, of course, going to be a little more withholding and save that for towards the end of the week. But lots of great stuff. We're getting into it all next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on, Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I'm Gavin Shaw play-by-play broadcaster in my spare time. But right now, all in on this podcast thing, talking about the playoff-bound New York Knicks. He's Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. And we are joined by another locked-on podcaster slash writer slash editor slash a, a lot of different stuff you got to throw on this guy, the great Brad Rowland, host of Locked on Hawks, covers the Hawks for Dime, covers the Hawks for Peachtree Hoops, a whole bunch of other places, and uh, and going to a wedding this week, I've been told. So, Brad, we, we really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us here on Locked on Knicks. Yeah, it's my pleasure, and I guess we have to have a blood feud this week or next week, or all, all of us have to really well, be... Well, we'll save it for next week. This, this week, it's all love. Next, next week, we can get into it. Fair point, but no, I'm, I'm happy to be here, and, and it should be uh, a lot of intrigue to discuss on this series, I just say. Definitely. Um, so so where I want to start off on this one is what I thought was one of the most fascinating conversations going into the NBA this season. Um, I'm, I'm a big uh, University of Oklahoma fan, so I've always liked Trey Young. And I, I thought what the Hawks did this season was, was fascinating, where they just loaded up on all these really good players and, and, and all guys who could shoot, um, obviously, outside of Chris Dunn. Um, and, and you just got the feeling, all right, there's some overlap here, but they're all really good. And it could they lead the league in scoring? Like, is, is the defense going to be a disaster? Um, it seems like they have too many centers. How does this all fit together? 
And it almost feels like, Brad, they avoided answering that question all year because they had just a myriad of injuries basically from the get-go. And when one guy got healthy, another guy got hurt. Um, you obviously had the coaching change mid-year. And for a variety of reasons, it feels like we've never really had to deal with that quandary, what some would call like a, a first-world problem in that the Hawks have all this depth. It feels like now, come playoff time, obviously there are still some guys missing, but it feels like the closest they've been in a long time with DeAndre Hunter just getting back to being fully healthy, this is a very long-winded way of asking you, how, how do you see the Hawks' rotation shaping up in this series against the Knicks? Yeah, they really pushed the limit of uh, testing that depth. You know, I kind of laughed off the too many guys question before the season started because there's always stuff that happens. And this season being as weird as it was, I was never concerned they were going to kind of run out of uh, options. <laughs> of course, they have too many, but they had so many injuries at one point that they really kind of were out of options. And to your point there, like they haven't really played their actual rotation at all this season. In fact, I argued on my podcast yesterday, game one of this series is going to be the healthiest they've been all season long, which is not the way it's supposed to work. At the end of the season, you're supposed to be a little bit more banged up after this big grind, but between the week off almost between games and actually having Downey Hunter back and all that stuff, they're going to be healthier than they've ever been, which is weird to say. Uh, to your question, though, about the rotation, I have to be honest with you. I don't know. I think that there's like eight guys that they definitely are going to play, but they flirted with as many as 10 or 11. Um, and with Hunter coming back, there are guys that Hunter's minutes have gone to this season, like Tony Snell and Solomon Hill, who've been valuable and have played pretty much every night for this team this season. But are they going to keep playing with DeAndre Hunter there? I'm not really sure. So usually rotations get trimmed down. Nate McMillan is not forthcoming with information. Uh, he's very old school in that way. So, uh, I have to guess it's going to be like a nine man group, maybe nine and a half, uh, you know, one of those like maybe a 10th guy plays in the first half kind of things. But trying to figure out who's not going to play has been a bit of a challenge for me. So I say it's going to be about eight guys that I can guarantee I can run through those names for you if you'd like to. But um, beyond that, there's some uh, there's some flexibility there. Here's maybe a weird and kind of interesting question that just kind of came to my mind as you were saying all that. Considering that this team has been so, you know, mishmashed all year as far as who's been healthy, who's not been healthy, uh, you know, trying to balance all these different different wing players and guards and everything else, you know. Do you think that there's maybe slightly a bit of a, I don't want to call it a disadvantage, but an unfamiliarity between them uh, at this point? Or do you feel pretty confident that, you know, just based off being around each other all year of guys being able to play with each other at different times that things should be able to meld well enough, you know, especially because it seems like McMillan really has them, them working as a, a pretty finely tuned machine at this point, uh, especially compared to how Pierce had them. So, I mean, what's sort of your read on that situation? Do you almost think that the depth at this point could be sort of a problem in a way? Um, or, or do you think ultimately it's just kind of, you know, it's whatever, like they'll figure it out. They're professionals. They've been practicing together all year. Like this shouldn't really be an issue. It's probably closer to the second one there, but there, there might be some combinations that haven't played a lot together and that in a playoff series could test you. Now, I guess the, uh, the more favorable read would be that Hunter is the main guy who's not played a lot with these guys and he's one of their best four or five players. So you'll probably just take that. You'll take the unfamiliarity if you need to get it because you, you have this guy who's this two way force as a forward, and especially in this series, when you're dealing with RJ Barrett and Julius Randle, they kind of need Hunter, especially defensively, and the way that he can sort of mismatch Hunt offensively, all that stuff. So I think that there is a little bit of uncertainty with guys playing together that haven't played together a ton this year. 
but I still think the Hawks would take that and they would just kind of roll with the talent that they have. Yeah. So you, you took the words out of my mouth, Brad. Uh, Hunter is the guy I wanted to ask you about. I remember thinking, I mean, not that this was a novel take earlier in the year that he, he was pretty clearly their second best player. It was getting to the point where I was like, oh no, we already have John Morant and Zion Williamson. Do we have another guy of a little bit older who we're going to have to start having the conversation? Oh, should the Knicks have thought about taking him over RJ Barrett? I mean, he, he was playing that well. And, and I was, I mean, similar to, to RJ's jumped, I, I was shocked how much better he got from year one to year two. Um, I, if I'm remembering correctly, tried to come back a few weeks ago, didn't go that well, went back on the DL, now has played bits of pieces of two games, hasn't quite looked like himself. What do you think his role is in a playoff series? Because sometimes we, we've seen teams get really excited because come playoff time, all of a sudden they're getting back this really good player, this really key piece. And it, instead of just being this talent overload, it ends up disrupting chemistry a little bit or, or to Alex's point, the fit just isn't quite there. And, and I think I, this is what you were hinting at with Hunter's ability on defense and how well he shot the three so far this year. He could maybe slot into a slightly more understated role and fit really, really well and play a, a position and at a capacity that he's frankly overqualified for. But I, I was just curious, like what, what the pecking order is between him and someone like uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's, who's been frankly incredible for the Hawks and, and probably the key to this winning, winning run they've had of late. All right, we're going to take our first break. Just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. And rockauto.com is fantastic. I can say I've used it myself. You know, I, last year I was talking about I uh, I got a new tow package for my car. That went so smooth. This year, my repair needs are a little smaller. Uh, I had a, uh, luckily I live in New Jersey where, you know, we get our gas pumped here. But unluckily, I had a gas station attendant leave my gas cap on top of a, a gas pump at some point in the last couple of weeks. So I had a real scare the other week uh, or the other day, I should say, where my check engine light and everything came on. And the uh, first thing I checked was my gas cap and it was gone. So I went on rockauto.com and I priced it out. And I'll tell you what, you know, you might look at the the big high value parts. Like, for example, you've probably heard me, heard me tell you about uh, you could get a 2005 to 2010 Honda Odyssey fuel pump assembly for just $216.79 at rockauto.com compared to $353.99 at those big box stores like Advance Auto. Obviously, that's a huge difference, but I could tell you now, even the small parts are a lot less expensive on rockauto.com. I got a nice shiny new gas cap with a tether cord on it because it's very important. I don't want it left on top of a gas pump again. Uh, for only five bucks, five dollars in and out, man. Super easy, lower price than even Amazon. I checked Amazon and lower price in there. Blew me away. That doesn't happen too often. You know, you can't beat Jeff Bezos, but rockauto.com managed to do it. So if you want to get some parts for your car or truck, head to rockauto.com right now. See what they have available for you. Maybe get a gas cap, maybe get something a little more, you know, substantial, but you know, anything as small as a gas cap you can find on rockauto.com on the cheap. And if you decide to pick it up from them, write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Yeah, it'll be interesting because one of the pros with Hunter is that he can scale. You know, that when they drafted him, part of the plan, you know, they traded up for him, they gave up a lot to get him. But part of that was because he fits kind of with anyone and anywhere. You know, that's 6'8". 
hybrid forward type that can shoot and defend is what every team needs. And they kind of knew that and they prioritized him. And then, like you said, he had this breakout early in the season where multiple players, and I think McMillan even along the way at some point said that he was either their best or second best player in the first month plus of the season. Then he was gone for so long that they kind of had to live without him. But Bogdanovich, to your point, sort of really, really stepped up offensively. And I think that Hunter, he played 24 minutes or so in the finale. And that's most of the, that's most of these played so far. And that was a game against Houston. And I'm not sure if you've seen Houston recently, but that's not an NBA team right now at the end of the season. So they have to s- still be guessing a little bit of what, what, what they're going to be getting. And I think Hunter is a guy who's not going to be prone to doing too much. Uh, he is a confident guy who's played with a lot more juice this year in year two, but he, I think going back to even for even college, he's very comfortable kind of fitting in if he needs to do that. And I can't see him like kind of, you know, warring with the, uh, the Trey Young, Madonovich faction offensively. And um, Madonovich has been just out of his mind, like you said. So I don't worry about it too much. I do want to see what the role is going to look like. Cause we just haven't seen Hunter play even starters minutes for, you know, three months now, it's been that long with the possible exception of one one-off game in the finale. So I, I think that he'll be able to play more, but he might be restricted by the, by the training staff. There's some uncertainty there, but the good thing is he can kind of scale. So I know as Knicks fans, we tend to have this uh, chip on our shoulder as far as national media perception and uh, you know, how, how the team's covered, whatever. And, and sort of the image that's blasted out to the world by the, you know, the the ESPNs, the Bleacher Reports, whatever of the world of what the Knicks are and who they are and everything else. Um, do you think that there's anything with this year's Hawks that is either being overlooked or is like being misconstrued or whatever by the, the general, you know, so to speak, mainstream sports media that maybe people that are fans of like the Knicks, for example, who've only seen this team three, three times this year, you know, wouldn't really understand. Uh, and that, you know, has sort of been misconstrued to this point. Like, is there anything that, that stands out to you that if you were like, I want to tell you what the story really is with the Hawks, you know, what, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think this is a team that definitely has a chip, a chip on its shoulder as well. And this fan base does in a big way, you know, Atlanta is a pretty big city, obviously like a top 10 market but not treated that way in nba circles it's more of it gets called a small market team a lot and uh this season they felt overlooked throughout the season i think trey young is a good embodiment of that like you know trey's gone through some ups and downs in the national consciousness obviously like he was a all all american in college was a top five pick but also had uh, kind of a slow star as a rookie and a lot of the narrative kind of set in with him that hasn't really been broken all the way through and then you got his year two breakout where he was really, really good, but they didn't win a lot. And he got blamed for that kind of unfairly, I thought. So I think most of the national conversation about the Hawks, at least in mainstream circles, is really about Trey. And it ends up being a lot of like, what can't he do stuff? And yeah, there's some highlight stuff too. But he is kind of the microcosm of this team where like they kind of been doubted a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not a big lean into that guy. I, I don't I don't try to maximize that discussion, but I think there, there is a little bit of a chip on their shoulder overall. And it's it sort of filters down and they're, they're okay admitting it. I mean, they've said it, not just Trey, but Bogdanovich and Capella and John Collins and all those guys are very happy to tell you that they weren't picked to do what they've done so far this year. So that's, that's one thing. And I also think that um, as far as national narrative stuff, I think Clint Capella is still like wildly underrated for what he's done this year. Uh, I think Zach Lowe wrote about him a couple weeks ago and got a little bit more shine, which I was nice to see. Um, but Capella, 
I think is like a top five defensive player of the year candidate this year. That's how good he's been. Essentially, what it comes down to is the Hawks are like a top five defense when he plays and a bottom five defense when he sits. And it really is that stark. And you can debate about how much that is a little bit of noise in there. But he going from Houston, where he was, you know, a pretty anonymous guy with James Harden and all that stuff. He's the guy that I would point to that is discussed. I mean, there's multiple guys, but I think Capella is the one where he had kind of a breakout this year. And I'm not sure everybody kind of noticed it. Yeah, so you essentially, again, Brad, you're doing a great job of this, uh, preempted me on the topic, but I wanted to get a feel for how you think Trey handles postseason basketball. Obviously, the the test uh, of the Hawks roster building is is kind of right now because the whole design was how can we maximize Trey offensively and his outlets and the inability for teams to double team him and then defensively how can we insulate him how can we put a bunch of long athletic guys around him whether it's DeAndre Hunter whether it's Cam Reddish whether it's Capella um but now it's kind of go time and and what people I mean like Zach Lowe like I've heard reference on podcasts for years and and what seemingly the implicit simmering doubts are about Young are that okay he can he can do the foul baity stuff in the regular season it's cute he can pull up from 35 feet defensively teams are going to go at him but not the way they would in a postseason series where, where in key moments there's going to be all the strategy in the world to try to isolate him on other teams' best players. What do you think this looks like for Trey in the postseason? How do you think his game both offensively and defensively translates to the postseason? It'll be a, a challenge defensively for sure. So I'll start there. You know, he has the rep, you know, all those uh, advanced numbers from his previous years where he was the worst defender in the league. And that was a little bit overstated, I think. Like, he's he is bad. I'm not going to tell you that he's not. He he is, but he is better. And he is better in this year, and that was predictable. And I think a lot of us saw that coming. Where part of the issue in his first year and a half, two years, was that he was carrying this massive workload offensively with no help whatsoever, and his effort waned a lot defensively. And when you're that small, your effort can't wane, or you're going to be pretty bad. Um, and obviously, he was. Now he's still going to get attacked, and I look forward to see how he responds to that. Because if you watch him on the right night for like a half or even a full game, he can be pretty pesky um, if he's dialed in. Like, he's not the biggest guy, but he's pretty strong for his size. He's got good hands and all that stuff. But if you see him on the wrong night and you see him on a night where he's kind of going through the motions defensively, it's still as bad as it used to be. So, obviously, I expect him to be playing hard. It's a playoff series. The, the bright lights will be on. But he still has to hold up in a switch against R.J. Barrett or against, God forbid, Julius Randle. And that might not go very well. So, they know that. They have to plan on protecting him but that's different than actually having to do it in real life they know it's going to happen but he's going to have he's gonna be picked on in this series the way that he never has been because like you guys i'm sure know in the playoffs it's just different like there's game planning and you're going to have guys picked on between trey young and Danilo gallinari there's going to be a lot of game planning to attack those guys and they have to know it and respond to it and then offensively the big question is like the foul drawing stuff and i think it's a little bit overblown but he did lead the league in free throw attempts like he's uh i at least at one point, I think he was number two at the end by to Joel B. But regardless, he got to, he gets the line a lot. I'm not sure all that's going to translate. You know, James Harden famously has his had his attempts go down in the playoffs. He leans on that, and also just being as small as he is, the track record of, the, of those guys in the playoffs is is mixed. Um, it's not all bad, but there's a reason why basically no one has won a championship in the last I don't know 30 years with their point guard as their number one option. Like 
pr- primary by themselves because it gets pretty hard for guys at his size. Now, he is really talented. There's people around him. His passing really pops. But um, it's a different game, and the Knicks are obviously quite good defensively, so it'll be a good challenge for him. All right, Alex, let's take one final break and tell everyone about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your big chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So this is a little more, a little more big picture here. <clears throat> Pardon me, but like, what's what's sort of at stake for the Hawks here? You know, do you think that? Do you think there's any chance that that there are jobs on the line here? Like Travis Schlenk, you know, it, it, with the roster that he put together, uh, Nate McMillan as an interim coach who obviously has done really well, but do you think that he's being sort of judged by this postseason? Um, you know, and do you think there is any chance of like front office or personnel movement based off how things go? And, and sort of as a follow up to that, after how much money they spent this year, I mean, I think the Hawks kind of they kind of blew the doors off in this past off season. Like, I, I don't know if I, I think some Knicks fans almost felt some envy of the Hawks at at early stages of the off season because I know a lot of Knicks fans were like. Look at all these guys that the Hawks are signing. Like these are some of the guys that we had like fantasized about. Like, oh, maybe this guy's available for the right deal. And you know, they went after Gallinari. They went who Knicks fans obviously still have somewhat of an attachment to, and uh, went after you know Bogdanovich. And once the the final price was shown on him, you're like, oh, that's not the worst. Like for a guy who is as good as he is. And but in reality, by the time the whole bill was put together, I mean the the Hawks spent a lot of money to try to take advantage of this window with Trey Young still on his rookie contract, which I think is the right move, but was sort of a risk in its own right. Because I think that there's sort of a thing where, okay, if if you didn't make just the right moves, you lock these guys into some multi-year contracts. Like, you know, you might now be in a position where once Trey Young gets his next deal, he's going to be kind of like, he's, he's now going to have to get paid and he's no longer that affordable contract anymore. And that makes it a lot harder to improve the roster. So what's kind of your, I sorry that a lot of things stacked layered on, there, <laughs> but basically how, how do you think this bodes for the front office, this series? Like how important is this for, for the, the powers that be? And then just in your personal opinion, like how do you think this year has gone as far as the money that was spent and like the roster that they built for this year and going forward, I should say. Yeah. So I'll go with like who, you know, who's under pressure. If I don't think there really is much pressure on them here just because even with all the money and I'll get to that in a second too, even with all that money spent, I think them being a top five seed and, you know, tying for the four seed is still better than I think reasonably people could have projected for them this season. And yeah, if they go down in flames and get swept here, will it end on a sour note? Yes. But that's probably not, I don't think that's going to happen in terms of like actually just getting pulverized in the series. And it, even if it did, you know, Travis Schlenk, I think is safe based on this season. 
and um, some of his draft history and the fact that he drafted Trey and the fact that his moves worked out reasonably well this year. Nate McMillan is a weird one because he's not under contract. Like he's an interim right now. He's very established, but um, they've kind of put it off to the end of the season in terms of what he's going to be doing next. Both he and Travis Schlenk have said, you know, we'll talk after the season and, you know, by the way that he's performed, he's obviously deserving of the full-time gig, but he has agency here. Like Nate McMillan might be in demand <laughs> this offseason. Like there's a chance he has multiple offers. And I think he probably is the coach of the Hawks next year, but it's not a, a normal situation where he's under contract and it's like, oh, just we'll just bring him back. Like he has to actively choose to be the, ho- the head coach of the Hawks next season in a way that a, uh, you don't often see. So I think he'll be around, but those, those two guys, I think the stakeholders are in right re- in reasonable shape and, you know, player wise, could they make some decisions based, based on this with trades and stuff? Sure. But I think that generally the pressure level is relatively low as far as like what they did in the off season. I was surprised they went as far as they did. I think we all knew locally that they were going to do some stuff to get better. There was plenty of noise that they wanted to compete right away, but they kind of just like, like, I think you got, I think you almost said it like they almost went overkill in some ways, but if you look back on it now, yeah, they spent a lot of money, but the only really, really big long-term investment that they made was Bogdanovich, and that's working out quite well. Like, he looks very, very good. They would do that again. Uh, Gallinari was the other guy making a lot of money, but if you look closely, he's only guaranteed for another year and a half. So if they wanted to move off of that, they probably could pretty easily. Um, so all things considered, between spending a bunch of money, yes, but it made the debt that they wanted it to make. Their books are still okay, not not incredible, but okay long-term for when they have to pay Trey Young. There are some decisions to make, like John Collins is one that's a big question this offseason as, as a free agent, Kevin Herter later on, but they're not crippled by their by their moves this offseason as well. So the combination of getting better, you know, making your star happy by winning, um, saving your job, if, potentially, at least potentially for Travis Schlenk, who might have been on the hot seat if they didn't have a good season this year. A lot of boxes were checked, so you have to be pretty happy with the way things went, even if it's like, I guess theoretically possible that they might have capped their ceiling a little bit by this offseason, but it still worked out fairly well, I think. Yeah, so you, you mentioned it with, with John Collins. To me, that was sort of the fly in the ointment with this with this great run for the Hawks, where there were, there were obviously rumors around the trade deadline that he could have potentially gotten dealt then. Uh, we heard stuff earlier in the year about him sort of challenging Trey Young and how much he domineers the offense, though. I mean, there, there were mixed reports, and that's some people seem it seemed like about a, a good thing in some ways that that came out. I'm not really sure. But what's your feel for his future on the team? And for people who haven't been watching when the Hawks have gone on this great run, how has he fit into that? Because from the outside looking in, it seems like it's been more about Trey first, Bogdanovich second, Capella second or third, and, and then Collins is maybe the fourth guy in that mix. Yeah, I mean, I, I could I could certainly argue that he took a step back this year in terms of his role. But if you look at the numbers, like he was still incredibly efficient. He was still very productive. Um, you know, he was still their, their second leading scorer for the season at about 18 a game. It was a little bit down from last year, to be sure. And I'm sure he wasn't thrilled about that in terms of like his future earning power. But he'll be in demand this summer. I don't know if he's going to be back with the Hawks or not. You know, once you make the decision to not trade a guy who's going to be a restricted free agent at the de- um, this offseason, I think you need to do that, at least planning on bringing him back. Now, doesn't mean they have to, but if you just look at what they could have done with him, they could have traded him for some assets. They don't have to give him away. If he gets a crazy offer, they can let him go, but he does fit with what they want to do. Um, you know, he proved this year along with Capella, they could play together. Um, defensively, they were pretty good when those guys played. Collins' shooting has really improved. So he could, he could be more of a traditional four now and spread the court a little bit more. 
I think he's still at his best when he's rolling to the rim. But, you know, it's one of those, the big talking point last offseason was can Collins and Capella play together? And they answered that with a resounding yes. And now it's do they want to have Collins making, I don't know, $100 million on their roster because that creates luxury tax stuff down the line. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but it's a, it's an interesting conundrum. But I think personally, if they were going to move him, they should have traded him at the deadline because now you're either going to get something small for him in a, in a sign and trade, like a you know trade exception or whatever, or he's going to walk for nothing. And that is not a good asset management play. I guess it worked out in the fact that they were good this year. So they made the playoffs and they need him to do that. But um, long-term you're not going to be in great shape if you keep letting guys go for nothing. And the Hawks have a track record Granted, it was a previous regime, but they let a few guys go before this rebuild started and didn't ha- get anything back for them. And I think they don't want to do that anymore. So we'll see. What, we'll see what happens. But I think Collins is still the same guy he was a year ago. And the numbers are a little bit down because of more talent around him. But I think he was almost as good, maybe even as good this year because of his defense and his efficiency. So I think he's a really good player. He'll be in demand. And uh, I am quite intrigued to see what he can get because if they don't want to match a max offer, they might have to think about that. So to say that Julius Randle had a good season against the Hawks <laughs> would be a bit of an understatement. Yes. Uh, he had three 40-point games this year. Two of them came against the Hawks. Uh, one for 44, one for 40 on the nose. And the other, uh, a meager 28 points uh, with 17 rebounds and nine assists. Uh, so... I'm kind of curious, do you think that the Hawks have anything different in the bag to throw at Julius Randle in this series? Or do you think maybe the strategy is going to be, you know, just to sort of let him get his and and cover the other players on the team? We've, as Knicks fans, we've seen a lot of different strategies employed to try to stop him recently. And none of them seem to work particularly well. <laughs> like some nights teams are able to get him to shoot a worse percentage, which is fine. But he usually finds a way to generate a little more free throws that way. If they're doing, if they're generating that lower percentage by doubling him, you know, he finds really creative ways to pass out of those situations and find open shooters on the perimeter. And he's, you know, a lot of these games where he's had uh, worse shooting percentages, he's typically, you can almost like, bank it that if he has a bad shooting percentage night, he's going to flirt with a triple double because he just starts looking for guys around the perimeter constantly. So he's proven to be a pretty hard player to defend, uh, which is a very good thing for the Knicks, uh, but maybe not so good for the Hawks or for any team that the Knicks face. Uh, do you think that they have anything different cooked up to try to deal with Randall this time around? Do you think maybe they'll start throwing aggressive doubles at him? Or something like that. Um, just sort of what's your take on that? And and I guess, too, you know, maybe give what you think your realistic opinion is and maybe even what you would do if, if it was up to you. Yeah, I think that they will certainly have some looks prepared that might be different than what they saw in the regular season. You know, the first two games were under Lloyd Pierce. Um, and, you know, they haven't changed all that much, but they have changed a little bit of some, some schematic stuff. Um, that's number one. Number two, I watched some film of these three games that happened. I would say Randall obviously had his way with the Hawks, but also I'm not sure he would make the quite the same level of uh, efficiency on a, on a f- larger basis than he was making some pretty insane shots, particularly in the first uh, in the first couple of games. 
So I will just tell you right now, that's the Julius Randle. Oh, I know it's happened all season long. <laughs> I, I know it has, but I, I, it, it's almost different to watch it like one shot by say, man, these are these are some pretty tough looks. Um, anyway, I think that they they are prepared and will be prepared to throw a lot of different guys at him. So it was a lot of Collins in the first couple of matchups that didn't go very well. I think Collins is better as a help defender than he is um one on one guy. But you know, he's the traditional matchup being, you know, power forward versus power forward. Um, they could use Capella at times uh, if they wanted to make him shoot jumpers, which I think would, would not be the greatest strategy in the world. But if they wanted to take away his stuff at the rim, Capella would be a way to do that. Um, they could use Solomon Hill, who they really like, actually, in that kind of matchup. But Solomon Hill would be almost a specialist in this series. I'm not sure he's going to play a whole lot. But if they wanted to have one guy on the roster um, that might be the best physical matchup for Julius Randle, it might be Solomon Hill, which might sound crazy, but he's like old man strong and kind of the same size in a lot of ways. Um, and then you have DeAndre Hunter. So Hunter is their best defender outside of Capella on the roster, but he's also, you know, he's, he's young, he's very strong, but he's more, he's been more of a wing defender, more of almost a guard defender at times. And I'm not sure they want to do that, but they kind of, they kind of flashed their hand a little bit in the finale where they, they actually had him guarding um, like Kelly Olenek in the Rockets game, I think in preparation to potentially throw him on Randall like they were scheming some stuff and get, they were definitely playing around in a sandbox against a bad team but long story short they're gonna throw anything and everything at Julius Randall I think doubles they don't want to do but they might have to if he's just really cooking them they might have to go to a du- to doubles but I think at that point they almost would rather just let him kind of get his like you said and try to not get beat everywhere else. Now that's a poisonous strategy if he's really got it going, but they don't want to double. I'm fairly sure about that because once you're doubling and you have Trey Young on the court, you have some real weaknesses all over the place. And that kind of gets you beat um, against the team and the Knicks that can really shoot it. Obviously like a top five, top six, three-point shooting team this year. So in the regular season, it wasn't just Randall either. They shot, I think, 48% from three against the Hawks in those three games. So that, that's the problem too. We start doubling. It's uh, it's curtains when you have Reggie Bullock running around shooting uh, open open three. So long story short, that's the big concern in Atlanta that I've been asked about by fans and uh, people around the team. We've been talking about it a little bit. Uh, nobody has a great answer, but my my stock answer is basically they're going to try everyone they can try until they find something they like. So right. sorry, Gavin, not to interrupt. I just really hope that it's not Solomon Hill because that man in that final game was like a one man wrecking ball. Like just destroying all of the players on the Knicks. Solomon Hill is like, a physical presence. That's for sure. I mean, he's well, the one that, that busted. Well aware. I was yeah, say. yeah. He turned Taj into the Tajinator with the red eye, and uh, <laughs> and also had the uh, the. I think he hit Noel in the in the dome in that game too, or something. There was something with Noel where he got he got hurt by Hill in that game too, and and then luckily came back after Taj got wrecked there because i remember the knicks had to play norvell pal for a bit in that they game did. but yeah no solomon hill on julius Randle for me thanks uh, <laughs> i'm, I'm, I'm just saying he, he'd be uh at some point you're gonna hear a joke by me probably on twitter that says solomon hill is the julius Randle stopper and like in that way like reuben patterson was the kobe stopper back in the day like not really <laughs> but uh they, they might try him as like the all right just go get him for five minutes solomon see what you can do it it reminds me of the old <laughs> like pre sort of late career breakout PJ Tucker on Carmelo Anthony. There you go. Like PJ Tucker used to give Carmelo fits all the time. Brett. So, so what, beyond, beyond the Julius Randall stuff and Solomon Hill potential in that matchup, uh, <laughs> what, what would you say the, the keys are for the Hawks to 
ultimately win this series? Because I think it's it's been interesting to hear from Knicks fans and by and large, a, a very confident bunch in this team. And I think on paper, I would actually give the Hawks the talent advantage and the way they've coalesced the last few weeks, they've played at about as well as the Knicks have had down this. I mean, these are teams with, I think, two of the five best records in the NBA over the last month and a half or so. Um, but the Knicks have made a, a business this year out of beating teams that they probably shouldn't from a talent perspective and playing above their talent and using defense and cohesion and ju- just enough big shot making from Randall and, and RJ and Bullock and Rose. What's your feel for what the Hawks need to do to win this series? Well, uh, it's interesting. I feel like this is going to sound weird. And I know I've said this on my podcast and kind of gotten some interesting responses, but I think it's a defensive series for the Hawks, which is funny because the Hawks are an offense first team. They're a top 10 offense and a defense that is, uh, you know, pretty middling overall. Um, But as I said before, the the Capella thing is interesting and they're going to play him a lot, I think in this series, but it's more that I have, uh, I have my doubts about the Knicks offense. Overall, I'm sure you guys do too. You know, overall efficiency stuff, they're not been out of this world this year. And, and I think that's really where the series is going to be won. I think the Hawks are going to be able to score at least at a reasonable clip. I know the Knicks are awesome defensively. That's without question. But, you know, this Hawks team has so many options that trying to like flat out stop them is not really um, what anybody can expect, even from a good Knicks team on defense. I think the series will be won on whether the Hawks can get stops. Um, and I feel like that is a little bit scary for a team that is definitely offense first, but if they play their best lineups and they play their, their guys more, and that's uh, on the bright side for you guys, um, playing your guys enough is not, it's not a Tom Thibodeau concern. Um, You will see your guys play enough. Uh, I don't, I don't know what McMillan's going to do with the rotation. This is Hawks team. It's not been in a a playoff series. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know how many minutes that Trey Young can play. I I don't know how many minutes that John Collins or Clint Capella can play. Um, That's a question. So if you're getting 44 minutes a night from Randall and Barrett and 37 minutes a night from Young and Collins and whoever else, that's advantage Knicks in some ways. So I think the series will be, will be won or lost on whether the Hawks can get stops. And that might seem simple, but we saw in the regular season, I don't panic too much in those three games, but they, they had some trouble obviously in this matchup. And in general, when Capella leaves the floor is when everyone gets worried for the Hawks it, almost more so than Trey. Like it, it's more offense with Trey and defense with Capella. But actually, if you were to look at the on off splits this year, the bigger drop off is when Capella left the court versus Trey. Now Trey was number two on the roster, but for me, the minutes without Clint Capella, can the Hawks survive them is uh, one of the bigger questions that I have in this series. Yeah. And certainly can the Knicks rebound enough with Capella on the floor? Because I think we saw, you know, without Mitchell Robinson, uh, the Knicks had some serious issues with Capella at times this year, as far as as far as being able to get rebounds, because he's just such a huge presence out there. So uh, before we send you off, Brad, in your heart of hearts, if you're if you're going to predict this, let's say let's say you're trying to do it objectively. Uh, <laughs> I always try. It's always hard to separate. It's always hard to separate it though, because like we want our teams to win. But if you're looking at this and you're trying to objectively predict the series, what would be your prediction as far as who comes out on top? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give my answer. I promise. I, I will just say there is a reason that this series is, if you look at the betting market, a coin flip basically everywhere right now, like there are, are various books, I guess, slightly towards one team or the other, 
But essentially, this is as close as you could possibly get. They have the same record in the regular season. I know the Knicks swept the season series, but even that third game, um, the Hawks were winning by, I think, eight, and then Trey Young rolls an ankle, and they lose in overtime. So even that's closer than you might seem. So I think it's a coin flip on through basically anything that you want to look at. Net ratings are pretty similar. There's a reason this is a coin flip. Uh, I I think Hawks fans think that I hate the team, which is always funny um, because I, I do try to be objective. I do think that I would pick the Hawks in this series. I'm sure you're not surprised by that. Um, and usually when you pick a, a team that does not have home court, the default is to pick them in six. So me picking Hawks in six is not me saying that I am super confident that the Hawks are, are going to beat the Knicks in the series more, more so than then road team in six is like the standard prediction. If you can pick the road team. So I'll say Hawks in six, but it's one of those like 55, 45 predictions. Um, it would not surprise me at all. If the Knicks won this series, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all. If the Hawks won the series, obviously, but there are so many factors in play. And honestly, one of the big wild cards, I'm, I'm sure you guys will cover this this week as well, is that these are two teams that don't have a playoff baseline to draw from. Like there are players who played in the playoffs, but when you have a, a full series, when, when both teams are new to this, to this scenario, uh, the uncertainty grows, at least for me, I, I feel less confident than I would if I knew what was going to happen in a playoff series with these teams. The coaches have been there. A couple of the players have been there from, you know, Rose and Capella have some, background but these are two new teams so we're all kind of guessing on some level but hawks and six is what i uh, i'm gonna have to put in the uh, in the ether as my permanent prediction yeah i think i think it's a good one brad i i'll, I'll reveal it later in the week but I, I might be leaning in a similar direction as you are which is a good sign for the knicks because only positive things have happened when i've predicted <laughs> for them but um yeah i'm sure you've had similar experiences with the hawks oh, yes. but i, I I think it's just it's an extremely extremely interesting series. You know, it almost feels like an NCAA tournament matchup where you or, or a college football bowl game where you have two teams from just distinctly different parts of the country that haven't really seen each other all year. And I know that's that's not really true with them because they played three times. But just with the Hawks finally being at full strength and presumably having Trey Young for the length of the series and the Knicks finding a new gear with Derrick Rose coming back and and getting fully acclimated and getting into full health and. Maybe if we cross our fingers and pray, excising Alfred Payton from the rotation. So I think in some ways we'll be seeing the fully realized version of both these teams for the first time, which is pretty crazy to say because, again, they've been two of the best teams in the NBA over the last month and a half. But, Brad, we really, really appreciate you taking all the time. I know it's an incredibly busy week for you, so it means a lot. Before we send you out, can you tell people who who want to follow along on, on the Knicks side of things to get more perspective and info on the Hawks where they can find you on social media and where they can find all your work. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me guys. It was a, it was a pleasure and uh, there's no blood feud between us yet. It's coming. I'm sure. No, no, again, uh, again, we wait, we wait until the, we weekend. wait until the game, until the series actually starts. No. Um, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at BT Roland, uh, mostly Hawks stuff on there. I do cover the Atlanta professional baseball team as well on occasion. So that, that, that's sprinkled in, but most, mostly Hawks stuff there. And uh, obviously I'm the host of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am the managing editor at Peachtree Hoops, um, covering the Hawks every day in written form. And I do write for Dime on the NBA side, some Hawks, some general NBA stuff, some NBA draft, which is, I know uh, our specialties before this, you know, covering the Hawks and the Knicks uh, have been, been like NBA draft and lottery stuff. And this year, no draft yet for me, which is a little bit strange on my podcast, but it's coming at some point during the offseason. But no, thanks for having me. And uh, you can find me all those places. And I tweet out stuff whenever it happens. So at BT Rolling on Twitter. 
Yeah, Brad, I think, if anything, the blood feud will be between you and Alex over Braves-Mets before any Knicks-Hawks friction comes into that play. That sounds right. Uh, I, would, uh, I, would, I would describe myself as more, uh, more of a partisan in baseball. I, I cover the Braves less in person, so the fandom is more alive in me on that side than it is on the Hawks side. So there you go. Well, there was a, a literal bloodbath today. Hopefully, uh, yeah, uh, that, was, is okay. that, was, that was unfortunate, uh, yes. But uh, yeah, he... Hopefully he's all right. He walked off on his own power, so it's fine. But yeah, yeah, Braves Mets getting uh oh that's always a testy one. Hawks Knicks, not quite as much. So <laughs> thanks so much again for for coming on, Brad. We really appreciate you taking the time to educate us a little more on the Hawks and uh, give us the perspective on this sort of newly healthy Hawks team that the Knicks are about to run head on into. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, guys.